0: Welcome to the Behaviour Speak Podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Behaviour Speak Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, excited to get back to uh, British Columbia for this episode. I For those who have been following along since we started, most of my early episodes were just local behaviour analysts, friends of mine, colleagues, folks I went to school with, and... And uh, I got through about nine or 10 of them and, and uh, you know, got distracted as my ADHD brain often does and started looking at other places around the world and realized there was a, still a few more uh, cool folks uh, locally that, I, that, that would be good to connect with. Uh, recently, we had uh, uh, Bodana Popovich on. Um, and, uh, that was the most recent episode, uh, that we put out. Um, I think that's episode, uh, 30, episode 31, I believe, or 32. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm privileged again to have another, another local behavior analyst and, and one that's not even in, uh, sort of the lower mainland of Vancouver. I, I live out in, um, in the sticks in, in, in kind of rural BC and, 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 uh, my next guest uh, is is over on uh, Vancouver Island, so that's fun to have someone that's not from um, sort of the big city. So uh, I'm pleased to welcome uh, Katie Rinaldi to the podcast. Katie, welcome.
0: Hi Ben, thanks so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be among the cool local folks <laughs> that you know. I really like that. <laughs> Thank that's you. awesome. At- yeah and I appreciate being here when I even though I had to like ask to be on which is not very cool I think in the podcast world I was like could I be on Ben and you were like sure I guess but anyway thank you I appreciate I appreciate is that is that how
1: it went oh gosh I gotta I I gotta work on my manners you know because
0: no no it was no you were nice you were nice but I I was just like is it okay to ask like I yeah anyway I guess it is because here I am so well, you know yeah, it, I'm glad to talk to you it's been
1: reinforced and certainly for other folks out there if you got cool things to talk about and you want to be on the podcast reach out well let's talk about it you know I might not have you on but um uh, <laughs> it's got to be something that I've got uh, you know some sort of interest in or it's going to be a you know it could be a relatively dull conversation uh but um, um but yeah no I, I love when I love when folks reach out and it you know it's a bit uh, uh humbling and honoring for me to to know that folks Think this is a good enough forum to 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 share what they're doing. So thank you, thank you for asking. Totally. To come on, yeah. Uh, no,
0: I'm a fan of the pod. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks again. Wonderful,
1: wonderful. So uh, for those that uh, don't know, uh, Katie, Katie's uh, actually a uh, doctor. Katie and uh, she uh, works primarily in the area of, of toileting and toilet training and sort of everything that kind of has to do with that. Um, local folks will be familiar with um, uh, her company uh, blackbird and, and the work she does there but as well she's done some um, great local presentations with um, um, uh, dr. Pat Barnda on on toileting through um, our local um, uh, sort of autism workshop provider um, and so a lot of a lot of mo- most most folks in our area are who have uh, particularly children um, with autism and other developmental disabilities Um um, are, are definitely familiar with their work as toileting is is um, uh, such an important thing on a lot of uh, parents' minds and, and and others as well. So Katie, maybe before we get into kind of uh, toileting and, and everything about it, maybe you could just sort of give us a little bit of a, an origin story. Kind of how do you got in the field of ABA and eventually kind of how you decided to specialize in, in toileting?
0: Yeah, um, I I started working with um, disabled kids and teens in day camps when I was in high school, just as a summer job kind of thing. And I really liked that, kind of gelled with that sort of field. And then when I went to university, I went to UBC and I you know needed a part-time job to pay for school and kind of fell into ABA, like being a, a BI or a therapist for um, young kids with autism. And I really liked it. I thought it would be a part-time job during school, but just was one of those lucky people who was like 18 and found the field for me Um, and kept working. I did my master's at UBC with uh, Pat Miranda, who you mentioned, who was my mentor in the toileting world. It was a big mutual interest for both of us, so I ended up doing my master's thesis on toileting. Um, while well, still working a lot in kind of early intervention and general consulting all through that. And I uh, got my DCBA in twenty eleven or twelve. Um, and then I yeah, I I was kinda toileting was a side interest, and then over the years it became kind of my main deal, partially because of the demand. Like you said, it's a big, big deal for so many families, um, and something that a lot of people need help with, but also I just liked it. It really appeals to me for lots of reasons. Um I think it's, yeah, it's kind of perfect for me. And I do, I have a PhD in inclusive education um, from the University of South Africa. Just inclusive education is another big sort of interest area of mine. And I wanted to um, learn more about that and uh, pursue that as well. In part because of like many behavior analysts, you know, I went through a bit of a crisis of the field um, over the Mm -hmm. years and kind of seeing how things evolved and having, having my foot in another area really helped me get perspective on what I can do as a BCBA, I would say, and kind of, in a way, brought me back to it and reignited my passion for for this kind of work. So, I mean, that was was my basically life story of work in a minute, but uh, I hope that's what you're looking for. But yeah, I'm really passionate about toileting. I'm really happy to have found my way to this um, area, and it's yeah, it's perfect. I mean, I it's perfect for me, and I I really have a great team that I work with too of people who are are so passionate about this kind of work, and it means a lot to all of us. So, um, being part of an awesome team is a big part of my my work now too.
1: Cool. Uh, I didn't know about your uh, your PhD. Uh, I, I knew you had one, but I didn't know sort of where you went and 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 sort of what it was in. What what made you end up at the University of South Africa of all places?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I just uh, there are a couple um, profs that I worked with there that I really admired their work in sort of the international application of inclusive education mm. practices. Like I'm, I'm really interested in like um, the UN initiatives around inclusion and and the rights of people with disabilities mm. internationally and how things look different in different countries. So um, I wanted to get an international perspective. Mm. I guess that was sort of what I was going for. And um, yeah, it it was it was a really good experience on the whole. Um, I, I learned a lot and again, it, it, I think it, yeah, it made me a better practitioner all, all in all, like having just more knowledge about, um, the way people with disabilities live and are educated and work all over the world. So yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: Did you actually go to South Africa?
0: No, I planned to, but I don't know if you heard of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, yeah, so I, it, it changed my plans a bit or a lot um but i was still able to finish my research it just became more local than international so yeah that's the that's a
1: gotcha difference. so you but you you would have been in south africa doing this program if there was no pandemic is that what you're saying
0: yes i'm traveling there yeah, yeah. but like yeah yeah so and that. so
1: what was your your i know we're sort of steering away from toileting a bit but what was your dissertation what did you research
0: yeah, I I researched the um, experiences of parents in the transition to kindergarten of their kids with ASD, mm. and my thought was, uh, my plan was to do that with a group of parents in South Africa mm-hmm. and a group of parents here in BC and kind of look at the differences and the similarities. But of course, I couldn't do the South Africa part. Um, but it was yeah, it was a it was a cool experience. I mean, I I learned a lot about the the way systems impact parents the way the the feeling in the that parents get in their role in the school system versus in an early intervention mm-hmm. program is completely different and it's a difficult transition so that there's not a lot documented about that so mm-hmm. it was a cool kind of newish research area and um it was yeah it was it was obviously I find it interesting I studied it but I also have you know that post just I just finished it last year so you know it's sort of raw like mm-hmm. finishing a few project like that it's like whoo, it was big um but it was cool and it was it was really again it, it it stepping away from toileting a bit for a while and just my work as a behavior analyst was it, it, yeah it it gave me different perspectives on what what parents go through I right? guess mm-hmm. like it even with something with toileting and having the time and really focusing on what are parents telling us about how this feels for them um was really impactful for me is like I think so much still like every day about what the parents said to me um that I interviewed for the study and um I yeah, take their words into mm. account all the time. Um that said I guess focusing on parents and also being like a new parent myself, like I have a three year old. Mm. Um I think another thing is not over correcting to the to the parent's perspective. Mm. Like that's something that I have to manage all the time too is like I think I view the world as, as a parent now. Like mm more so than like it's just a lens that I have that I didn't before and I have so much empathy for parents so learning to also be sure that my my first consideration is for like the learner Mm -hmm. that I'm working with um but I also it's helpful in terms of outcomes and the whole experience being better for everybody to also consider the perspective of the parents as much as possible Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's a, it's it's given me a new new lens on my perspective. But it's it, again, it's it's always like anybody who works in this field, you know, it's like you're constantly working on your your perspective on mm-hmm. yourself and how you're viewing the situation. And um, yeah, it it gave me a little like excess parent view. <laughs> so now I, I I find myself needing to go no, but how does the learner feel? And I need to advocate for them sometimes even against their parent uh, if, yeah. if it comes to that. Right, so. Yeah.
1: So you yeah. ended up focusing. That's cool. So you ended up focusing mostly on the on the Canadian perspective. Then I guess because you couldn't yes. do the South African piece. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You got it. Yeah.
0: yeah. But it was a, it was yeah. It ended up being cool, but it wasn't you know my original vision. But I don't think anyone's dissertation has ever been their
1: original vision. So <laughs> true. 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 Yeah. I know. Yeah. I had a guest on. Um, in uh, I think it was I don't know was it one of the one of the earlier your episodes maybe maybe episode nine I can't remember the number but uh Adair Carden and um mm-hmm. she's uh she's a behavior analyst uh, in in uh, in Senegal and mm-hmm. I listened
0: to that right, one yeah. right and so like, she yes. she
1: wrote I don't know if you I don't know if you're able to get her paper but she wrote a her her I don't think I think it was her her master's uh, uh, thesis was on um on uh
0: pivotal response training right and and parents in the states and senegal or something
1: Yeah well so she does, yeah. that's what she does she does PRT in Senegal and and that's what that's her practice and um and uh, I think she she's I think she's originally from Washington state and uh, or, or was mm-hmm. or at least going to school there at one point um and was doing PRT there and he kind of brought it there and it really meshed nice yeah with um with the culture there. But the paper she did wasn't on ABA. Uh, her The paper she did was on cross-cultural, is a cross-cultural psychology paper mm. on comparing parental experiences it wasn't transition to kindergarten per se it was just sort of parental consideration or, or parental perspectives on having on, on on their children on their autistic children and comparing the Senegal perspective to the American perspective um, mm-hmm. and so being from the state so she she was able to kind of she was in both countries I think and was able to do the research in both it was pre-covid and um, and it was really interesting to sort of you know uh, see how different those perspectives were um um uh, there's a there's 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 quite a quite a large difference um um uh, based on sort of the context and and you know societal demands and so on and so forth and so uh you know like you said having all those different perspectives can be really helpful and we you know being in Canada and the United States having a you know a melting pot of cultures we often tend to apply that western perspective and not consider some of those other pieces
0: yeah, that's so cool. I, I yeah, I, I'll have to read her paper, and that's amazing. This pandemic, man, it has really been something Woo. yeah not so good for research absolutely cross-cultural or international stuff anyway yeah, well also I'm glad i was able to finish and do something so,
1: and also yeah. i really like that you're I, I mean i i'm i'm told i think i'm totally cool with folks that want to do you know want to continue and do a phd in aba and 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 there's a there, there's a lot of great research that's come out of that and a lot of great learning and and, mm-hmm. and those folks and some of those folks a lot of those folks are amazing for me though, I think if I were to do a PhD, I'd be the same as you. I, I, I really see the value in sort of, you know, jumping to sort of a different but related field and, and doing mm-hmm. a deep dive study in that. And so I like when I see folks, you know, um, you know, either get their, you know, education doctorate or they or they go and do like a they go like do like a like a social work focus or psychology or like you said, inclusive education and you know, or or you know, um or any sort of sort of area, sort of you know, uh, related area to sort of expand that. I think I think it gives folks. I, th- I think it gives you you a really unique perspective that folks who just go the straight ABA route may not have.
0: Thanks, Ben. I thought it was a good idea, yeah. <laughs> and it, it did turn out well. And it was I I was, I actually would totally recommend this path to other behavior analysts for sure. Like d- doing something exactly like you said, a sort of adjacent but related field, because. Yeah, I, I feel like I, my perspective has changed in a really positive way. Um, and I'm more effective because of yeah. it, which is awesome. So, yeah. Well, and I
1: think a lot of folks go the PhD direction, you know, sometimes in, in part because they they just want that, the hyphenated D at the end of their credential. And, um, mm. and I don't know that, um, you know, beyond sort of, you know, the extra amount of money you pay for that letter, you know. You know how big of a difference that will make in in anyone's life, and so just because you don't get the old hyphenated D doesn't mean um, you know you're 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 a lower class PhD by any means. Um, okay. yeah no, I know
0: I. <laughs> I'm- i don't i don't need the i don't need the TV. no i don't i'm good no, yeah. exactly no, exactly
1: you. um right on so uh so so toileting toileting became the focus and and and, and that makes sense that it was through pat um 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 and uh and 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 through pat at ubc sort of being being that focus um just mm-hmm. with your with your agency so in your in the agency what's the what's the, what's the name of the company again it's Blackbird
0: Toileting Services. Blackbird Toileting Services.
1: So I think you've already answered my question then. Uh, do, do you guys just do toileting? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, the answer's in the question <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we just do toileting, yeah. That's so you it.
1: don't do sort of the normal kind of early intervention kind of programs that a lot of other places do. You're just focused on toileting.
0: Yeah, yeah. This. Um. I. I should say like on the island, we do have just Blackbird Special Education who does all sorts of services but my focus is just in toileting mm. and like our, we have staff it's sort of yeah we have a larger company that does do early intervention but um yeah like all over bc we ju- we just do
1: toileting mm. exactly yeah gotcha so i was wondering because there, 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 so there is another blackbird and that's just the larger uh yeah entity that kind of covers you and that's uh um and that's that, yeah bruce bruce ham is he still yeah. involved in that and mm.
0: Yeah, he is. And then we have a BCBA in Nanaimo Page Nadeau, who's really awesome and effective at toileting, but also loves doing kind of other sort of general consulting yeah, early intervention yeah. and then school age. They have a school age program, so she kind of heads all that stuff and yeah. I just do toileting. So I have like kind of, yeah, my own staff within the company that just do toileting as well. So we have a separate name, Blackbird Toileting Service. Um,
1: yeah. So thinking about toileting, I, 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 there's lots of, I mean, we've talked, talked before the, the episode and, and we talked a bit uh, a couple months back about sort of what different topics we could kind of get on. And and I, th- I, th- I thought we could just sort of, um, we just kind of, just throw some questions your way, things that have kind of come into my brain around toileting, things I haven't known. I think there's a lot of things folks know about toileting. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I I know a lot of folks go to your, uh, visit your Instagram page. What is it? Toileting 101. Is that what it's called? That's it. So so check out Toileting 101. Great, great information on toileting and resources. And, um, and, uh, and what I really like about your Instagram page and I, and I, and, 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 this is a compliment, too, for, from from my perspective, because I really struggle with uh, uh, um, with uh, reading long posts and um, and uh, and I just struggle with all the information that just goes by on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But for whatever reason, I'm drawn to yours in that they they you, you, you seem to do a lot of myth busting um and because Mm. there seems to be a lot of myths around toilet training a lot of things you got to do it one way there's only one way to do it you've got to do it you know super intense in some sort of fashion or you know it, uh, it, it it tends to be sort of a you know, uh, there seems to be a perspective that you know. Well, number one, you can only do it with you know certain kids. And Number two, you can only do it if they're quote unquote ready. Uh, number three, you can only do it in sort of a certain way, and that this way is the best way, and that everyone does. And and um, and and if the kids get older, you know, there's a problem. You know, and so on and so forth. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of these sort of you know assumptions I think about toileting that are out there that sort of probably keep people from even trying to sort of access the service out of, out of, out of, out of, uh, you know, a fear that they're not going to have enough time to time or, or willpower or dedication or motivation to kind of, to kind of follow through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, thanks. I do try to do a lot of myth bust me because you're right. Like I, I sometimes wonder Just is this because this is my specialty that I hear so much wrong stuff about it? Like, is everybody who like knows a lot about something? I mean, I guess we as behavior analysts are like, oh my gosh, if you ask any random person like what reinforcement is, they're gonna give you they're gonna think they know and they're gonna give you a bad answer right so anyway i guess this is a common thing but yeah i i encounter so many myths about toileting that i i yeah my whole instagram page is basically like this is wrong this is (laughs) wrong no just kidding i have tips too but anyway it's like i i would say the biggest one like of the things you mentioned was the readiness thing Mm. so people always like it's so pervasive if you google it or even like this is i'm i'm really not a conspiracy theorist about like the medical establishment in any way (laughs) but the information that people get Mm. from like their family doctor pediatrician about about toileting is is often not great like Mm. and the i mean if you look at like the um canadian pediatric society or american academy of pediatrics like they're what they say about toileting is the myth so Mm. so especially around readiness like you should wait until your child is basically wants to do it mm. fully is, is asking to go to the bathroom or asking to use the toilet they're totally uncomfortable in soiled diapers do not want to wear soiled diapers like that's a big one mm. that um people tell me even that their their doctor will tell them oh wait until he's ready don't push it and i mean i'm not a fan of pushing it mm-hmm. per se, but waiting and waiting. Like if you have a kid who's disabled and they're not going to do those things very soon, like there's, there's no reason to wait um, for those so-called prerequisites to appear. And there's like, in the research, I mean, nobody's got those so-called prerequisites and they're successful mm-hmm. with toileting and lots of studies. So it's just kind of crap. And I just constantly say, don't wait like it's more about the the helper being ready like if it's parents who are taking it on it's like do it when you have time and focus and it can be a big priority for you Mm. um it's it's in terms of your kid it's like it's not this list of prerequisites it's kind of looking at them as an individual and seeing like okay can we prioritize this right now are they going to be comfortable in the bathroom Mm. like they're not fearful like it's more it's more general than um and I mean, I guess I should say it's more specific to the kid than, than the general prerequisites. So that's one of the mm-hmm. biggest ones, but yeah, in general, I do try to say what you heard is wrong about toileting a lot because people like m- most people who I meet with who are needing help have heard some, some wrong stuff in their journey mm-hmm. with toileting. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely kind of setting them on the right path is, is part of, I guess what I've made I'm a self-appointed, uh, you know, toileting mythbuster on Instagram, I guess. So, anyway, it is what it is. Are,
1: are there actual are Are there any though prerequisites?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, like, I I mean, I used to say the only real prerequisite is will they approach the toilet like when they're asked to Mm. so like ambulation basically can they ambulate to the toilet um and also will they sit at least like they're not they're not fearful there's not like major sort of Mm -hmm. escape happening when they're asked to sit and and I mean with like really preferred Mm -hmm. stuff to do while they sit um but now I would say I mean I work with um some learners where they they don't ambulate to the toilet like they're that someone helps them get there in their wheelchair or whatever Mm -hmm. and they're still able to be successful so I guess I'm down to the true one is are they going to sit there and they're not fearful Mm -hmm. like they're they're comfortable they can be happy relaxed and engaged on the toilet Mm -hmm. with things to do Mm -hmm. that's I, I guess I would say that's the prerequisite I'm working with these days
1: I had uh that makes sense I had uh Amy Tanner on a while back and she Mm -hmm. does a lot of this sort of pediatric behavior analysis. So she does stuff like with like babies. Um, Yeah. Is there any sort of, um, you know, obviously you're not going to take a, you know, a three month old and, and put on the toilet because there's a you know, pretty good chance it's going to fall in and get flushed down even um <laughs> depending yeah. on the size um um yeah. but are there are there things you can sort of do with an infant maybe and, I, and this is sort of an off question but like to sort of help alleviate that fear sort of when you get to the point like can you you know bring your baby and just sort of you know play games and hang them over the toilet seat and and you know tickle them and that sort of thing i'm, I'm, just, I'm wondering if there's sort of any 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 of that stuff because it seems like it sort of gets to this point where these kids have had like three you know if, if we're talking about sort of early intervention you've had kids that have had like two and a half three years maybe four years to and sometimes five to, to uh to learn things the wrong way and, and to build neural pathways that aren't helpful um you mm-hmm. know is is there any way you can sort of do some preventative stuff sort of pre toilet training that's
0: a very interesting question mm. i mean i wouldn't <laughs> I, I, yeah, babies, huh? Mm. I mean, there is that um elimination communication thing that some people do with babies, and it—I should say, like in some cultures, like diapers aren't even a thing. They're just like they're truly holding babies over the toilet when they have a sign they need to poop or mm. holding them over whatever vessel. Interesting. And like I, I think it's yeah, there, that's that's a thing. Like I'd love to research that mm. one day and, and see. I, there's only a little bit of research about it, but I, yeah, my my um lightly crunchy hippie brother and sister-in-law did that with their four kids and they all like it was so funny to see their little kids like babies pooping off the side of the boat when they were like tiny anyway it's a thing um but in terms of that as a preventative uh like like, what can you do so that kids don't develop the fear Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good question i think that um theoretically i mean where a lot of people go is they'll do things like hey before we start really in earnest trying some toilet learning procedure let's just have a potty out in the living room Mm. and like let them get get used to Mm -hmm. it um that sort of thing and it's like that that's cool I mean that kind of thing is but it's like you wouldn't I don't know you wouldn't put other sort of instructional stuff out for them to just Mm-hmm. get used to mm-hmm. and mess with I feel I feel like in i I mean, maybe you would, but I I think it's more like you just creating some sort of positive association with the toilet's gotta be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that they're not that fearful, but most kids will have heard a toilet flush a lot by the time it's their turn to sit on it. And I, I find I, I don't work with many learners where they're really, really scared, mm. um, or showing a lot of like, but they're just like, oh, this is a thing that's been in my house since <laughs> I was born, whatever. Right. It's more like public bathrooms where we see
2: yes. real
0: avoidance. So those friggin Hand dryers, man. <laughs> those insanely loud hand dryers that were introduced. I think it was like maybe ten years ago. Yeah, they yeah. they became ubiquitous in every like mall yep. and McDonald's and whatever. So kids, yeah, those they're they're like a jet taking yes. off. And so I think I have found more kids are fearful around that. Yeah. So it, I I I think when you ha- that aside, I mean, I think when you have a young kid who like like who yeah Amy Tanner would would be looking at like kids who have sort of markers for maybe having ASD or something mm-hmm. like that. There's I you got so much to do, like so much to consider developmentally that I, I don't think it's necessarily something to that, that people would focus on or would really need to. And mm. I don't have like the research to say, yeah, I get them pooping on the toilet right away. That's essential. Cause I do have the research to say, oh, you can teach them at any mm-hmm. age and it'll be okay. Mm. So I guess I would say, eh, don't sweat it. Gotcha. You got other fish. Gotcha, fish to gotcha. fry.
2: Well,
1: so, yeah. so you mentioned a, a, a phrase, what's this elimination communication stuff? What are you talking about?
0: Oh yeah. That's the, oh, sorry. I kind of glossed over that. It's this, thing this this practice um that's like you the the reason they call it elimination communication i believe is you're looking for signs in like a baby so you know under age one really young baby that they're about to pee or poop Mm. um and they consider that the baby communicating Mm. and like they're you know they're furrowing their brow because they're going to poop or Mm. they're grunting or their their leg is twitching a lot because they're going to pee and then the parent takes that as a sign to take them and hold them over a potty or whatever and and help them pee or poop so um that's that's what that is so yeah if you if you google elimination communication you'll see train your baby Mm -hmm. baby's gonna be potty trained all that sort of thing but um yeah it's kind of it's interesting stuff like it's they they do do some things that like for example um like that once the baby makes the sign elimination communication practitioners would suggest um like you, you use a sound to prompt them to pee, like going shh
2: mm. or something
0: like that. Um, and that if you associate that with pee, it'll help them to pee when mm. you present that stimulus later at that time. So, like that, I, I gotta say some of that stuff I find pretty compelling and have used bits mm-hmm. of it in practice. Like when I'm working with learners who are struggling to pee outside their house, for example, like you just feels different, it feels weird. You're not, you know, relaxing on this McDonald's toilet or whatever. Mm sometimes a sound stimulus can help the same sound we used at home we would use in that setting and it can really help them to pee because it's been you know combined with that pee response in other settings so it's interesting stuff it's one of those things like I think as a behavior analyst it's cool to read and learn about and look at parts of it that are applicable to to yeah my practice but on the whole I just it's like one of those parenting things that's just don't put the pressure on yourself if you don't have to like I don't know It diapers for a while are fine like there's so much other stuff to do I don't think that people I wouldn't say you must do mm. something like this and get your kid mm-hmm. peeing over mm-hmm. toilet right mm-hmm. away like who cares so it's interesting but it's not yeah it's it's not like something I'd highly recommend I just think it's a cool google like you know a Friday night glass of wine sure 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 information yeah.
1: yeah yeah that auditory cue stuff kind of freaks me out I kind of I, I kind of worry that you're you're going to have a you know a a, a, a freshman going to his going to his first uh, library study group and talking too loud and getting hushed and having to run to the bathroom <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: oh my god <laughs> so funny i should ask my my <laughs> nephew who uh my nephew their like firstborn. Yeah. of my i should i should not be talking about this on a podcast so sorry guys <laughs> um but they, they he's like what is he 15 now i should ask him like do you ever hear somebody go sh- sh- yeah. and you just like have to be i'll report yeah
1: seasons. yeah
0: i'm sure i'm sure he'd love to talk well, about I, that with his aunt it's
1: much like the sort of the the, the waterfall trickling creek sort of thing yeah
0: Think, things yeah. which i
1: shouldn't be doing right now because i'm gonna have to get up in the middle of the podcast and go for a walk but
0: um, i know i know
1: (laughs) um yeah so if you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode you'll need to go to www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop and enter the three secret words the first secret word is toilet let's let's talk about sort of um the, kind of the different kind of kind of methods that are out there i I, mm-hmm. I when when i when i when i go on to sort of these social media pages and people are asking for help with toileting or information to, everyone seems to point to or a lot of folks seem to point to uh rapid toilet training by azar and fox um, and it sounds mm-hmm. like i think it's a it was a like a a, a almost like a, I don't know if it was like a, a full book or a pamphlet or something mm. that was written in the, in the seventies, um, by, uh, um, uh, Nathan Asrin and, and Richard Fox, which folks were familiar mm-hmm. with. And I think Nathan Asrin, uh, passed away a few years back and Richard Fox still out there doing stuff. Um, but it's, it still seems to be the go-to and it, 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 it uh, it surprises me on some level, not knowing much about toileting. I've I've only been involved in like one or two toileting programs in my whole sort of career, and so I don't mm, really know much mm-hmm. about it, um, um, that the best method out there is something that was written in the 70s. I mean, um, for, a, for a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of different angles you can go with that that yeah. comment, you know, just based on there's a lot of... You know, ABA reform talk of of late, and referring to sort of the practices of, of of that time, mm-hmm. and um, and and so you know, it it makes me think that maybe you know, there, there's there's got to be you know, can tell t- t- can you tell us about what that method is and yeah, and 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 why or why it isn't the only option.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm with you on that. Like when people, when I hear from people that they're still using basically Asrin and Fox as written 1971, I'm like, huh, oh, interesting choice. Like I, it's it's been a thing like since I've had my Instagram page. Um, I connect with so many BCBAs and RBTs and stuff who are like when I've said stuff on my page about. Hey, uh, is anyone doing Azrin and fox? Because I wouldn't recommend it doing it as written. People DM me and say, "Yeah, that's what we do, like at our clinic." What? Tell me, tell me everything. Should we not be doing it? And I'm like, no, and kind of get into it with them. But anyway, it is so. It's like a seminal piece of research. It's a big deal, and it's like why I'm talking to you today. So I don't want to, you know. Shit on it. Sorry. Oh, can you swear on this podcast? This would be your first explicit one. Sorry about that. Anyway, or bleep me out. Um, but I think that it's uh, it's it's what they what they put together was like it, it worked really well. It was obviously extremely effective, but it was pretty had some pretty dehumanizing elements. So, first of all, I mean, some of the things that they pioneered in that method were increased fluids. So that I'm cool with, I think if it's not forced, offering someone extra fluid to increase learning opportunities so that they'll pee more a lot more learning opportunities. love that. I think that's okay as long as you're not forcing it. um they had a dense schedule of sitting, so very frequent toilet sits. I can't remember the facts, but it's it's a lot and then it's it also getting getting the learner in underwear right away, so they're experiencing the feeling of wetness, love that too, like kind of pull ups or or briefs around um toileting are not helpful we kind of have yeah lots of research about that now too so some good stuff um but then there's some bad stuff so i mean they they had the learners so they were adult males in that study in the bathroom all day they could not leave the bathroom Mm. area of their ward where they lived. Mm. so don't don't love that weird um and then the the main stuff i have a beef with i would say is the punishment after accidents so (sighs) <sighs> I mean, they they would do things like if a learner had an accident, they'd shake their body and give them a stern reprimand. So that's gross. I, who's doing that? And then make them take a tepid shower. I sound bad, tepid shower. Um, And then they would mm. also have to mop the area. So mm. like a, a restitutional overcorrection. Right. So they would mop the entire area. So like a large portion of the bathroom where they had the accident. And then they also... After an so an hour following the accident, there was a timeout period where their learner would get no drinks, no kind of edibles, no social reinforcement. So that's all they say. I think that means no one talked to them mm. for an hour. Um and a delay of lunch if it was lunchtime. So that's I, when people DM me and say they're doing Azure and Fox, I really don't think they're doing that. And I hope not. But I do think they're doing some of the, the restitution over mm-hmm. correction stuff. But ig- ignoring for an hour, like an hour timeout from social reinforcement is pretty inhumane and bizarre to me. Like this, this is a skill acquisition program. Like why is there so much punishment involved? And I, I think that That, that I don't love. So
2: Mm.
0: there's some junk in there. I mean, there's some junk, but like the, the essence of some of the techniques that they hit on were extremely effective. And then there's subsequent studies. Where it's it's very similar but without the punishment and it works extremely well too. So there's no there hasn't been some awesome you know component analysis of, of Adren Fox and like I mean who, why would you do that? But it's so it, I do think there's enough subsequent research without punishment that we know it's not necessary. Hmm. Um, and also the the idea of like intensity or bust I don't like. So I mean I I would say. What I do, like what we do in our practice with learners is often relatively intense. Like we do find that that's quite effective. Mm. But by that, I mean, you know, maybe a six hour training day. And if there are any signs that the learner has like removed their assent for the procedure, we pause, we stop, there's breaks. Um, and there's never any reprimanding. Mm. Like it's just I, I've, I've not ever actually done that in, in my practice or even early on in my career. Um like I mean, Pat Miranda, your friend of mine, she would never let me do that, right? <laughs> like she would never advise on undoing do- something um, involving punishment with toileting. So I think like the fact that anybody would do Asrin Fox again, like as written, is please don't. If you're listening and you're doing it, like you don't need to do it that way. Mm. I think um, it the punishment part isn't necessary to be effective, mm. and it's, it just sucks. Like that's not what we want to do, and I I can't imagine. I can't imagine shaking somebody after they had an accident. It makes me kind of
1: sick. So, yeah. Uh, I, but just I mean, to interject yes. for a second. Because I, I, yeah. I totally agree with everything you're saying. I don't think I realized that Azure and Vox was done with the adults. And that makes sense because I, I think a lot of that research at, at the time in the se- 60s, yeah. 70s, and even early into the 80s was done in these institutions. And and and, and, I told, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of the early ABA sort of stuff that's come out was institutional stuff so that makes sense do do you know if folks were doing like there's a lot of things in there in the in in in, in, particularly in those punishment protocols that Mm -hmm. that i don't even know would be possible to do with children um so do do you know of any examples of sort of early azar and fox related stuff where they employed a lot of that punishment with, with, with younger ones, as far as sort of, you know, mopping the bathroom and, and, and shaking them and all that. So, cause I mean, you mean shaking a two-year-old, you're, you're, you know, you're, yeah. that, that's, that, I think that's going to cause a lot more problems than shaking a, a a 40-year-old. Not that you should shake a 40-year-old either, but uh, just as far as sort of neurological damage and whatnot and yeah. so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, no, it, it is. Yeah. That's, and I, I should say like, I, again, I mean, there's there's really icky stuff about that research but i i still think and for the time it was groundbreaking it was huge like yeah these were adult males like in their 30s and 40s who'd been in a diaper their whole life and nobody gave a crap right and and azure and fox came up with a method to help them get out of diapers which is is pretty big like it's it's a big deal so anyway yeah. yes <sighs> but i think that um <laughs> this is fraught conversation i think that uh they, they so they had a book I think it was in 73 so like mm-hmm. you know off the success of the the their publication mm. in 71 they had this book that was like it's called something like toilet training in less than a day or something yes like that's what yeah. um yeah and it's like it's they I think a 73 or, or soon after yes. that they published it um and it's meant for like young toddlers mm. and it was hugely popular like it was a major bestseller it's like one of the the sort of biggest mainstream breakthroughs of behavior analysis I think Mm -hmm. ever like it was hugely widespread so I'm pretty sure I haven't read that book in a while there's some sort of overcorrection that they recommend but it's a gentler Mm -hmm. I can't remember I have to get back to you on that but it's like it's it's still beyond what I'm comfortable with Mm -hmm. as a you know um you know super I would say compassionate leaning um, modern day behavior analysts, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not comfortable with much punishment at all or any. Um, but it's like I think, like for example, there's a there's a pretty pretty big article. It was Leblanc, 2005, I think. So, um, it was in. Uh, focus on autism and other developmental disabilities. So it's a toileting, I can't remember the title, mm. um, but she and her, uh, the authors of that study, ha- they use with young kids with autism, a positive practice approach. So after accidents, they would say no wet pants or a phrase like that in a firm voice, mm. um, but no no shaking, but still a firm, mm. no wet pants, which I don't even really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And then they would have the person sit on the toilet and then like get changed then rush back to the site of the accident for I think it's four times so they'd be like no wet pants have them sit on the toilet for a minute dry pants on and then rush 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 back and forth to where they had the accident to the toilet Hmm. four times so that I think it's like I'm just more familiar with that I read it Mm. more recently something like that in the early Mm -hmm, age but like even that don't feel it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. It's not like why? Why so? Ooh, like, and what do you mean, rush
2: mm-hmm. back and forth?
0: So, like, if they resist, you drag them. Mm-hmm. You pick them up. Mm-hmm. Like, don't like it. Don't like it. So, I mean, when I when I did my master's thesis, so I guess it was twenty twelve. I published it. We uh, Pat and I did this study with um. We taught parents to implement a version of rapid toilet training. Mm-hmm. So they came to a workshop. And I taught them in like a day long workshop using a dummy acting as a kid. <laughs> it was very and like I did this whole in depth workshop about what to do if you know this happens, what do if that happens, and it was again a version of rapid toilet training. And we just had them do like no punishment at all. Um, so just if there was an accident, you would use a neutral phrase like, Oh, let's get to the toilet mm. and help them get to the toilet yeah. and you'd start your next sort of scheduled sitting from there. So that ever since I did that study and even before, that's what I've done in practice. Like I always, you know, I, and I something I say a lot on Instagram too, is I'm trying to help parents learn to give a really neutral response to accidents. Um, cause I punishment isn't effective, I I think. Mm-hmm. Like there's these studies where um they punishment's a part of a larger procedure like the rapid toilet training procedure or the LeBlanc procedure I just mentioned where there's some positive practice I think um, like there's studies where it's part of a larger package where it's successful that's what I saying. but when I work with kids often by the time they get to us their parents have tried a bunch of stuff already and I like relatively often in practice I see kids who have been reprimanded and like it, it, it caused more accidents like there's maybe an attention function in there somewhere so I just bet, when in doubt be super neutral mm-hmm. and there's no need to be mean ever mm-hmm. like these things just they just read as mean to me like mm-hmm. when I, I like they think of the idea of doing shaking someone's body and making them mop and if they it says yeah and as fox, in fact if they didn't mop they were manually guided to do so so yeah exactly like super icky with young kids to do something like that so I just don't see it's necessary and I've, I've been effective a lot without it. So no punishment. That's my main, my main beef with Asrin Fox and the idea that people would continue to do that all these years later, like 50 years later is nuts. Please don't do it. Mm-hmm.
1: That's,
0: I guess. Yeah. The message on
1: that. Good. Uh, is. Just going back to the book title. So is, is that then possible? Is it possible to have someone toilet trained in less than a day?
0: think they're you know (laughs) that was a bit of clever marketing (laughs) the marketing department got to them on that one um it's it's like you you can see signs of like like success and mastery approaching within a day Mm. I think for sure like we see that often but it's like if you're working with a learner who has sort of rule governed behavior it can happen really quickly Mm. so yeah like I mean a lot of young kids were neurotypical or whatever they get like the
2: contingency
0: clicks for them very quickly Mm -hmm. and yeah you start to see results very fast I would say that's totally possible Mm and not I shouldn't say just kids who are neurotypical Mm -hmm. like so many learners that we work with Mm -hmm. it's like oh by the end of day one they're looking like they know what's going on but I would never say totally because it's like what I mean it goes back to the question okay what toilet drinks mean mm. I, I I would think by the end of the day it's like yeah perhaps if someone helps you to the toilet you might try to pee like by the end of day one that's mm-hmm. great but can you stay dry when you go for a two-hour mm. hike and can you use the bathroom at McDonald's mm. I don't know why I keep referencing McDonald's mm-hmm. um I don't have any other fast food restaurants on the tip of my tongue but I think it's yeah it's so it's like it's not necessarily a complete process is done but you can be seeing big results mm-hmm. and I think that's encouraging for a parent implementing it with their young kid for sure. It's like I'd I'd buy that book. Mm-hmm. That sounds good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So,
2: yeah.
1: Well, maybe let's answer that question that you just brought up. So, what is toilet training?
0: Yeah. That's a good question. As you touched on Ben, you asked me this in our pre podcast chat and you like gave me a crisis of of faith I was like I don't know what's the outcome so I I said because I said to you um initially I mean the the out because I I think the reason we started talking about that too is I was saying one thing I really love about working on toileting is there's no selling it to like a family or to, to parents mm-hmm. or even to a school everyone's like yes mm-hmm. let's do this and I love that and you're and you were like okay so like what's the outcome that everyone wants and I was like the kid's toilet trained and you said what does that mean yeah. and I said uh, 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 <laughs> underwear I guess yeah like I think it's underwear all the time so that's I mean I say usually that's a goal mm-hmm. is can the person can the learner wear underwear all the time mm-hmm. um and relatively like stay dry and I mean for the most part, the goal would be that they'll approach the toilet on their own or, Mm -hmm. or alert someone that they have to go or something like that. Um, But it's Some some learners, like their communication just in general, the repertoire is not at a place where they're going to alert people. Um, and so they would be more of a phase that's commonly called trip trained or time trained, where someone would um, remind them to go at intervals and they'd still be able to stay mm-hmm. dry because they're going to empty their bladder or poop or whatever when they're brought to the toilet on those intervals or prompted to go on those intervals. Um, so, but then, yeah, a, a really good point that you brought up was but like a lot of adults, actually, like especially, you know, middle age or the boomer generation. Now, a lot of adults have kind of intermittent incontinence mm-hmm. and wear like 10 of briefs or whatever. Yes. Um, And it's no big deal. It's totally fine. And I think that's a great point. Like, I, I really don't I, I don't like, you know, this sort of idea that disabled people are held to a higher standard mm-hmm. like that they're they're um expected to be perfect because their goals are all mm-hmm. listed on paper like if if we you know there's there's lots of adults who we don't know are wearing you know a a brief to work every day and they still use the toilet but they have leaks sometimes and that's yeah. totally fine so it did when you're saying that i was like maybe people don't need to get out of you know brief and I do I work with some like older learners where that is where we stop like young adults or, or older teens where yep there's just going to be the odd leak but they can mostly use the bathroom on their mm-hmm. own and they can they can go in there and change their brief or whatever um, on their own when they need to and I think that's a pretty cool outcome so um, yeah it depends I mean it mm-hmm. depends on where the learners mm-hmm. at, and but yeah I think just generally it's the, the goal is like independence i would say yeah
1: um well and i think yeah. i think the, the the specific question i asked you was based on a conversation i had one day with a autistic guy uh mm-hmm. just just for for listeners this is not a, a, a anyone that i've had on my podcast this was a, sort of separate and I, I i don't know that i don't imagine this person would ever want to have this conversation on a podcast but um mm-hmm. but uh, for some reason we got into the the topic of toilet training um Mm -hmm. and and he said to me um you know i think he was in his 30s or whatever but he said to me you know ben i i i i wore a diaper till i was 17 and then Mm -hmm. uh and then and 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 this is a guy that was you know you, you know pretty 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 verbal, relative, I think relatively independent, um, even in his adolescent years, you know, he definitely needed supports and whatnot, but you know, he, you know, he had the ability to make his own decisions and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. and, he said he just decided when he was 17 that you know I I think it's time to stop wearing diapers um and 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 uh, and, and move to underwear and he kind of you know he made that personal choice uh, and and that's how he he explained it. he said it wasn't a, a prompting thing it wasn't something a teacher told him to do it wasn't you know in, in therapy it was just sort of a, a decision he made in his own and and it made me start to think and then I started to think you know and and I, and I talked to you about sort of you know like older adults and in uh, you know wearing tennis and diapers and and things like that I, I was thinking about an individual that i supported for a few years who um who uh, was uh independent in going into the bathroom locking the door taking off his his soiled diaper uh um, then sitting on the toilet for a minute um uh, then getting off the toilet and putting on a clean diaper that he pulled off the shelf himself um the only thing he needed a little bit of support with was um was hand washing and that was solely out of a a a motor deficit that he had not a Mm -hmm. skill deficit um and i was like Right on, dude. Uh, and uh, and I also asked his mom, "Do you want you you know do do you want us to work on toilet training?" And she was like, "No, um, you know he's fine. He independently changes out of his diaper on his own, and everything I just said. I don't have the you know he didn't she didn't have the spoons to sort of you know implement programming because there was a lot mm-hmm. of other complex needs going on. But it just got me thinking that." Okay, here's here's a, f- from the perspective of the rest of the world, like no one knows what I do, what I, Ben Ryman, do when I mm-hmm. go into the bathroom and close the door. They know I come in, they might hear the toilet flush, some of them might listen for the tap to, ru- to, to run and hope I'm washing my hands, um, but beyond that they have no idea what's happening in there um the no, you know i could be urinating in the toilet i could be having a bowel movement or i could be in my diaper and taking it yeah. off and um and and now cleaning myself and 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 getting ready to go but to the to the eyes of society i'm an independent i'm independent and i use the toilet independently so the question i was asking you know was was uh, somewhat maybe existentialist in a little bit but uh, what why why do we need to teach the full aspect of toileting, um, and um, and uh, beyond the fact that everyone just thinks that's something we got to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Don't know what I am doing with my
2: life
0: anymore. <laughs> New job, no, but think, yeah. Oh, okay, guess toileting's uh, in the bag. No, I mean, in that example, I think that's such an interesting example. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, if the if he's fine with it, like, like that. If I were to work with a learner who was like. You know, I don't care. I'm really good with this. I I wouldn't be comfortable pushing and saying no. I say this is an important goal for you. I mean, this is where we're at in behavior analysis. Like if the if the learner doesn't give a crap about the goal, why are you doing it? Like it's and and the family too, right? So I mean, I think that's pretty cool. And because I I would say the only time. That one of the one of the reasons I I think toileting is a worthy goal overall is the abuse prevention factor so mm-hmm. like I, it's something yes. like people who are developmentally disabled are like it's like, more likely to be experienced sexual abuse yep. than, than their you know yep. neurotypical or whatever sure. or counterpart so that sucks i mean and that's one of the most vulnerable positions to be in is in the bathroom with and it's a ton of abuses caregiver abuse mm-hmm. gross mm-hmm. We, we need to avoid that but if this dude is just going in there doing the whole routine on his own that that's not a factor either mm-hmm. so it's kind of like cool do do what you do like i i don't i mean there's sometimes there's irritation with wearing a diaper like mm-hmm. apparatus or the cost the landfill factor yeah. other things might factor in but if he's comfortable doing what he's doing and then can decide when he's just like you know what I'm gonna use the toilet now I'm getting mm-hmm. into underwear
2: mm-hmm. love it mm-hmm. love it
0: don't need to help that guy with with any sort of toileting stuff because why would you impose it on him um I'm really yeah if if they, working on something as sort of I guess like vulnerable as toileting um, I think it is really crucial that you get learner buy-in mm-hmm. um, and and complete sort of comfort with the process mm-hmm. like if a kid is a learner I should I always say kid but I mean learner a mm-hmm. lot sure. of teens and some adults and stuff too. but I mean you know learner um, if they're really uncomfortable with the process I'm not going to push them I mean there's there's often a like that's the thing too with going in with something like the idea of doing an intensive protocol and then you find the learner is like not into it Mm -hmm. giving you every sign they don't consent Mm -hmm. well don't don't push through we don't push through when someone is has no pants on and is showing you in every way they can that they don't want to do what you're asking them Mm -hmm. to do Um, so it's yeah being being a, a human being first and and Treating the learner how, mm-hmm. how you'd like to be treated is, is huge. Like, it's, the protocols don't matter nearly as much as people do. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's no protocol that's more important than a learner being yes. comfortable and bought into the process. So, yeah.
1: I think that ascent consent piece is super important. I mean, offers on all levels. But it also makes me think, I, I'm sure there's, there's got to be some behavior analysts out there right now at this, you know, that, that, are, that are listening to this episode and, and they're going, well, that's because you taught it wrong. You know, mm-hmm. that's because you, you didn't consider stimulus control or that's because you stopped at a certain phase and didn't keep going or that that was a reinforcement issue or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you should have been able to teach that that the, the the kid you're working with that, you know, he didn't need diapers anymore and, and switched underwear or whatever and, and so on and so forth. And yeah. and and but and sure, that's true. I mean, there 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 obviously is going to be ways that we can. You know, uh, you know, force the issue, I guess. Uh, But if you take into account the consent assent piece, then suddenly it's like, well, you know, I could have, but does that mean I should have, right?
0: Yeah, like what matters more than that? What matters more than the the consent assent piece, right? Like, I gotta look in the mirror at the end of the day. Like yeah. I'm not gonna, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's so to to push to push someone to do something, especially where they're partially naked. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Like, no, I'm not. I'm not dying on that hill. Like, no way. Yeah.
1: And and also makes me think about sort of, uh, and, and I'm wondering, and I, and I think you 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 the answer is probably again just acknowledging assent and whatnot, but. In terms of abuse and whatnot, there, there, it's it's not just a matter of sort of, um, you know, an individual say going into a public washroom and 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 you know, maybe you know stripping his pants down to his knees or down to his ankles or something or doing something sort of inappropriate, not inappropriate, but that sort of put, mm-hmm. puts them at a higher risk for being abused. Um, but um, it's 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 uh, I lost I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i can't help
0: you i didn't know where you. oh were my gosh way. uh,
1: uh yeah. so I was, I was saying it's 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 not just about uh, uh oh yeah sorry not just about that but it's also about the the compliance piece um yeah. because i've worked i i as you know I've, most of my work has been with adults um mm-hmm. sort of kind of group home kind of contexts and and some and 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 uh, you know and something and, and fortunately i i you know i don't know of any individuals you know when i was working that were abused but i mm-hmm. definitely saw easy possibilities for abuse because I, I saw that a lot of these adults when when you know because they still needed support they they, they weren't i mean none of them were toilet trained um um mm-hmm. and so they needed support in the washroom they were so compliant with things like take off your pants
2: mm-hmm. you know take off mm-hmm. your shirt
1: um um immediately like the moment you say it they were they were they they got that piece down um and mm-hmm. uh, as far as sort of the undress and change thing you know and, and partly i'm sure part of that it was of course just to you know be relieved of, of of the wet clothes but at the same time you know this was the same thing for dressing you know or mm-hmm. or whatever else and uh and so how how do you sort of account for that how do you plan how do you plan to prevent abuse the second secret word is poop p-o-o-p
0: yeah i mean i partially think this is a good question for landa fox who you had on before i would prefer to her on anything around this but i mean in terms of like i think a lot of the abuse um prevention factor comes in with just the, the teaching around it can be clearer if the person is independent with with toileting so like if they like the the guy you mentioned who would go into the bathroom change his own penna whatever brief come back out, no one's the wiser of what happened in there. Or if someone would go into the bathroom, whatever, pee, poop on their own, do the whole process on their own, come out. They're not in a situation where someone really ever has to be in the bathroom with them. And I think that's a easier discrimination to teach. So that's a gateway that you know successful toileting opens is you can say to the learner, no one needs to come in the bathroom with you and teach that to them. However, you would teach another discrimination, right? So I think that's a, a a real value that toileting success adds, um, whatever toileting success looks like. But like in terms of, yeah, in terms of, I mean, teaching abuse prevention again, not not my area, but we do do things like in practice with learners where we always, always tell them what we're about to do or Mm -hmm. what we're about to ask them to do. So, and and try to communicate that in the modality Mm. that works for them. So if they're like an AAC user and people, you know, use AAC to, to communicate to them as well, we would ha- work with their team to program that in so we can teach them the sequences about mm. something. So I'm going to, I'm going to help you to remove your pants now. I'm going to ask you to sit on the toilet and um, t- talk them through everything like mm-hmm. that. It 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 goes back to treat others how you'd like to be treated, mm-hmm. I think. Too. I mean, I I guess I I have a a new like I was talking about how being a parent or when we first started has changed my perspective mm. somehow, and I don't don't want to skew too much to the parents' perspective. I really have to consider what 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 might the learner be feeling right now. Mm. How might they be experiencing this? And I would say one thing is like, um, having a having a baby, like the experience of being pregnant and giving birth and all that. That I feel like gave me a new level of empathy for what learner's experience when we're doing toileting Mm. I might be out on the land like i've yeah i mean i i've I've been very healthy in my life and i've never had like that much medical intervention Mm -hmm. until i was pregnant and then people are just like looking at you naked day in and day out like it's all you do there's there's like i like there's students who come in and Mm -hmm. medical students get to Mm -hmm. look at you naked and like i you just i that experience for me was kind of like ooh, this is weird like i'm so vulnerable and mm-hmm. and the you get the feeling that you have with medical professionals who are like hey you know I need to like check your cervix or whatever mm-hmm. versus ones who like there are ones who just do it like that it, it feels bad like it feels bad as a it's like tell me what you're gonna do tell me what mm-hmm. to expect I've never done this before and I kind of like I can channel that feeling a bit mm-hmm. when I'm working with learners now where I'm like how would this feel if some woman came to my house and like plunked me down on the toilet mm-hmm. and like wanted me to stay there and so like t- taking it slow and being like looking looking for a scent signs is big and I think um that's that's kind of yeah in the, in the toilet learning process that's what we can offer mostly is like take it slow tell them what you're doing mm-hmm. how it, communicate that as clearly as you can look for signs they're not cool with it and stop if they're not cool with mm-hmm. it um and like no doesn't have to be no it can be moving away from you or, or like looking uncomfortable or anything like that so yeah i think i think consent factors into to all that and just yeah learner comfort has to be pretty paramount yeah. in teaching something like this
1: I, I guess i'm just wondering if there needs to be a piece and and and, and maybe there doesn't i i don't know where because you know a lot of our kids tend to be really rule governed and real you know Mm -hmm. you don't really respond well to instructional control and all that kind of stuff Um, Mm um if there needs to be a piece that once you know they're independent and you're no longer accompanying them to the toilet that you can still ensure early on and not wait until something bad happens that Okay, now now that you're independent in the bathroom, and 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 mm-hmm. and hopefully you're independent in you know and, and 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 we've also maybe gotten you independent in some other, you know, sort of uh, in- bathroom activities like bathing and showering and that sort of thing, um, um. And this may be more of a rhetorical question. I'm not expecting that you would have the answer necessarily to this, mm-hmm. but and maybe Landa would. But what do we do to sort of ensure now that stranger a uses the same prompt of pants down and you don't pull your pants down. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Because I I just feel like that, that maybe that's a missing piece from toilet training in general or, or any of this stuff, because we often don't get to that until, you know, it's often way too late and they've had too many sort mm-hmm. of, you know, that they they've had this long learning history of, of, of abuse and whatnot. Like I, I, as a, as a five-year-old, you know, or or maybe maybe as more as like an eight year old, I want to be able to say to, you know, I know we're digressing off toilet training and really going into sort of Landa's area and other folks' area, mm-hmm. but at eight year old, you know, I want to have the skills to say, I'm not pulling my pants down, Uncle Joe. Yeah, you know, even yeah. though that's what yeah. I was taught f- intensely for first couple of years of my whatever.
0: Yeah, right. I yeah, I think it is. It is something that should be a, I mean, it's like toileting is under the sort of personal care umbrella Uh, I would say so like I think that that's under that umbrella too where it's it's like boundaries and stuff all need to factor in but I do think I mean like that is one one challenge with working on like being being such a specialist like having such a narrow focus area Mm. is that that's that's the like that's sort of post my work with yeah. learners so like yeah that that comes next so it is one really cool thing about my job too is that i often get to collaborate a lot with other behavior mm, analysts who, cool. who like are more of a, the generalist on the yeah, team so yeah. um that's something like i can have a conversation with them mm-hmm. about incorporating as a goal later because yeah. it's often like it might be a bit like learning wise it might be a bit fresh still where they're just sort of at this mastery phase of toileting to then uh, add the add the i, I don't know it, it might not work for some learners to immediately start going yeah but don't go in the bathroom with uncle joe or bob off the street or mm-hmm. like i don't know i mm-hmm. I would defer to their their general sort of emails yeah. who knows the learner really well. Um, because that's yeah I think it's a really good conversation to have and something really important and like Yumi and Landa should all rap about it sometime I, totally I think know, we should, I'd yeah. love to hear what she has to say about about this because she has yeah really good insight about yeah. all this sort of consent teaching stuff and um, boundaries yeah. and strangers and she has really good ways of of conveying it and I think it's another it's another area like it's it's so like behavior analysis is so fitting like the technology for teaching mm-hmm. stuff like that but it's not an area that's been emphasized mm-hmm. much in our research so i think like yeah Landa is a good really good resource for this kind of stuff for sure
1: yeah and, uh, and i think something that's just really missing from our field in general is we have a lot of a lot of these sort of you know uh, interventions and toilet training is just one of many of them that that, that have a you know uh, an obvious start and finish you know Um, yeah we teach a skill to mastery whatever that may be um and then you're done um you know you're done with that skill you know and maybe you'll move Mm -hmm. on to something new or you'll just or you'll you know you'll stop being taught and you'll you'll change teachers or whatever um but we don't i don't know we don't i don't know how much we do in terms of Uh, And I've seen a little bit of research. I had, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Dr. Val Saney on talking about resurgence and things. And this was more around problem behavior and whatnot and, and sort of, Mm -hmm. and sort of problem behavior returning after, after, at the end of an intervention it coming back out, you have, you've you've done your functional analysis and you've figured out your intervention, you've put it into place, you've reduced everything to zero levels and so on and so forth. Uh, And then you sort of release them or whatever, and yeah. then the behaviors come back um yeah. for some reason or whatever, and there's that resurgence i don't I don't know if this is exactly the same, but you know I, I feel like that we we don't do a lot of research in terms of sort of the long long term effects of our intervention you know mm-hmm. you know what, what what you know and 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 again and and and, and 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 please don't please don't take this as beating up on you i'm just sort of thinking i'm just thinking, because toilet training is is all is usually such a an an early often an early intervention thing, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's a one and done. You don't have to go back to it in five years usually. You know, you know, yeah. unless there's some sort of medical issue that kind of comes up and or a big change or whatnot, and then you have to do some do some teaching. You know, some some bladder problems and so on and so forth. Um, and so we don't really think about sort of how could teaching you know A, B, and C when someone's two years old affect them when they're thirty you know, in a certain yeah. way, because we're building these neural pathways. And again, I know I'm, I'm getting pretty rhetorical here and pretty sort of theoretical, and I don't really know what I'm talking about, but, uh, <laughs> but I do know that in, in those early years, that's when all those brain pathways are made. That's when folks are really moldable. There's, we're getting a lot more on neuroscience and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and so it just makes me kind of wonder, you know, um, um, you know, I, I don't see a lot of uh, ABA sort of research that says, you know, if you teach this a certain way when they're two, could it have an effect? And and one effect that we're seeing, we don't have a lot of research to support it. And that's why it's become a real sort of, you know, sketchy topic these days. But it's this idea of trauma related to sort yeah. of early intervention services and so on and so forth. And I'm not saying it happens or doesn't happen. That's not my point here. But it's again, mm-hmm. it's just this idea that, you know, you know, at the age of 30, I could be having a traumatic experience based on something that happened to me, you know, um uh when I was really young. Usually we think that's some abuse type thing or some sort of, you know, you know, really nefarious action. But I often wonder is it some it could it be something more, you know, planned, you know, um, that then yeah. has some sort of long term effect that we just don't know and there's no research out there for. Us. So I'm I'm just kind of putting this out there more, not for you so much but more for Mm -hmm. listeners, you know, this might be something you want to kind of dig more into, because I'm really liking, we're starting to see more neuroscience stuff kind of coming in and and aligning Mm -hmm. with kind of the work we're doing and and seeing how, you know, the interventions we're putting into place, the actual change in neurons that are happening and so on and so forth. I kind of rambled on there, but that was... (laughs) No,
0: I think it's it's so interesting. Like I, yeah, I mean, yeah, what are the long-term effects of like yeah, a toileting intervention that happens when you're super young. What are th- and I guess like I was I was saying this I was talking with our colleague Jasmine Dollywall and her. She has her Instagram series, um, speaker series. Um, her Instagram handle is dissemination station. Yes. She's a great follow. The speakers are awesome. I think not. You know, I was one of them, but the yeah. others were <laughs> great. Okay. Um. So she, I, yeah, she. I was talking to her about this when I was on there a couple of months ago about when I like just sort of the state of ABA we were getting into that kind of stuff and and what's happened in in recent years and as you know we're listening to autistic voices and there's very valid and consistent and constant criticisms of ABA procedures right Mm. and I I think I like initially I was saying this to her so it's a bit of a repeat if you Mm. listen to that anybody but I was saying to her that I um I initially like the the things that I would read about criticisms of ABA are things like you know teaching eye contact is is like no it's a no-brainer we're not doing that like it's, it's not happening anymore that kind of thing or it's it's just so many um autistic adults have said that was a painful experience for them a traumatic experience in ABA or things like that are really like a sort of repetitive compliance training and I was sort of reading all those things and being like oh I'm a toileting specialist I'm not teaching eye contact I'm I'm OK. And then I, I encountered some stuff on forums of um, autistic adults who'd had like an Asrin and Fox type toileting experience when they were young and talked about how awful it was. Mm. Like It was terrible. It was mm. dehumanizing. It was traumatic. And I was kind of like, oh, great. Me, too. Like, oh, God. it's. But I mean, I'm not doing the Azrin and Fox, but it just it, it it's so important to hear that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when adults mm-hmm. who've experienced this exact mm-hmm. thing are telling you the traumatic effect yes. like, that that weighs heavily on me every damn day mm. I would say like every day I'm working with a learner and, or my team is or like it's it, if we're I'm so so trying to not cause trauma mm. like I if that's such a I mean it kind of goes without saying dumb thing to say, who's trying to cause trauma. But Mm. I think I've become acutely aware of that in recent years. And I I hope it sort of flows from the other stuff I'm saying about looking for signs of assent and taking it at the learner's pace and never going in with sort of an aggressive need to adhere to a protocol. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I I do think that my my practice is compassionate. And I just, it's, but we, we can't, we can't know exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. We can't know the long-term effects of what we're doing. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why your, your humanity has to come first mm-hmm. and, and tr- treating other people like you'd want to be treated is, is should be the governing principle of everything that we do. Like, I, I just think, um, yeah, the, the, the likelihood that you're causing long-term tra- trauma is something you want to manage every day. And, mm not not be a part of like yeah i can't again like I can't, I can't look in the mirror at the end of the day if if i was a kid was screaming mm-hmm. while i was trying to work with them and it's just not i'm not okay with it so i think i think that's related to what you were saying yeah. oh i think absolutely
1: yeah. i think 100 yeah. percent and i think that's that's great um i think it's mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a sign you know a lot of people claim to be you know, either neurodiverse affirming or compassionate or there's a lot of buzzwords these days that people are just sort of Mm -hmm. now throwing on their, 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 you know, company descriptions or whatnot that seem to be whatever. But I think, I think if you're going to work every day, you know, actually worried about the possibility that today, if something goes wrong, you know, I could be causing trauma that could affect this person for the rest of their lives. And you're actually, you know, Mm -hmm. looking in the mirror, worried about that. You know, I, I granted some people might go, well, I don't want that job, but, um, but, but I think, I think (laughs) that's, that's a really, really good sign that you are compassionate, that you are affirming that you are considering consent and assent that you are, you know, uh, that you're doing it the right way. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I think if if folks are just thinking that, you know, I've, I'm doing I'm doing intervention that has 30 years of research behind it. It's awesome. It always works. It's great. It's it's it, it's it, it's got super outcomes. And you're not thinking that there's any possibility at any time something you could be doing could cause problems for them long after they don't see you again. Then yeah. I think that's a problem, and I think that's i and I think that is one of the big issues in our field right now, and I think that's that's where i, I think that may be even be the central argument that puts people mm-hmm. on either side of the fence on on the sort of a b a is quote unquote abuse sort of argument is that folks that don't consider that to be even a possibility in in a moment um you know, you know or don't think they could ever do wrong, you know yeah. I think those are the yeah. folks that are, are most likely to do wrong.
0: Yeah. Like, please retire if that's your yeah. perspective. Yeah. We we don't need, we don't need that voice anymore. Like yeah. it's, yeah. It's not something where you, you have to, like, you have to do things differently than you were initially taught. Mm-hmm. Like I think in so many fields and I, when, when behavior analysts are so adherent to something like, no, we do Azrin Fox toileting at this agency, mm-hmm. it's like, Step back and think about it, like is that do you want someone doing that with you or your kid mm-hmm. like i i yeah i I think my an, another thing about being a parent, like so many people are extremely compassionate without being parents, and I don't think it's an essential like thing at all to be to to work compassionately, but it it's out of a layer for me for sure, mm-hmm. like having a vulnerable little kid I'm responsible for, and like thinking about things like you know what does daycare like how are they treating in there you you just yeah i don't know like you uh, wanting your kid to be treated a certain way is an is an angle too mm-hmm. and again thinking about how you yourself are treated so yeah it's like when i when I read about the idea of having an accident and getting your body shaken and then mopping a floor, mm-hmm. even running back and forth to the spot you had an accident four times, I wouldn't want to watch somebody do that no. with my kids. No. That grosses me out. I don't like it. And and it's like, I feel like I read some of that research years and years ago and it I was like, oh, weird. But it didn't ping for me in the same way as it has like in more recent years, mm-hmm. I would say. And it's like your your lens changes all the time and you have to change what you're doing with it. Um, and I, I guess I should say, too, one thing that's challenging with, as I think, especially a behavior analyst who works more generally, and if you're somebody who, you know, works with kids, say, in early intervention, and you maybe a couple times a year work on toileting, you don't get to deep dive into it the way that I do. Mm-hmm. So, like, knowing the research pretty well, like, there, there's there's not that much research and behavior analysis on toileting. No. Like, that's one thing, one impact about Azure and Fox, I think, is that yeah people were like cool this is great and kind of left it alone for quite some time mm-hmm. like there's not that much research that that I mean there's there's more now but and there's more that removes the punishment which is great um but I think that people are like well what else am I supposed to do mm-hmm. don't have time to engage with that and and get into that so that's another thing I guess I'm trying to do on Instagram is be like try a different way you don't need punishment mm-hmm. also you don't even need to do something more intense even though I find intensity can be effective like I said um, if the learner's not having it, if the family you're working with, if the family context isn't having it, you can do one toilet trip a day for a while and mm. get some success and momentum that way. Like, you don't have to do something intense because that's all you've ever done mm-hmm. or that's all you've found in the research. So, yeah, I think it's an it's something that, like any skill you would teach a learner, it takes time to consider what you would do and don't just reach for a protocol. Mm-hmm. That would be my main sort cool. of
1: message. Cool, cool. The third secret word is skills. I don't want to get into all the different protocols that are out there. Cause I think, I think folks just should go to your Instagram page. Cause they're going to learn a whole lot about that. Um, um and I know there are a, a few different ways of doing it. I have read some of the research there was one paper I read about kind of just doing, starting in the school. If, mm-hmm. if that might be easier for some families. So let's just do the training in the school and then do it at home. That was a cool one. Um, I'm wondering about, um, just a couple other areas that, uh, that, that came to me. One, one comment you made sort of early on when we were in, in, in the chat was that, you know, you don't have to convince people um, mm-hmm. that, that toilet training needs to be a goal. Everyone wants their kid toilet trained. Do you find th- that that is the same th- sort of um, feeling when the child has like a, like a, a lot of more severe physical disabilities? So they're in the wheelchair, oh. maybe they have cerebral palsy. Um, you know, I, I've worked with a few folks with cerebral palsy. And because and, 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 I'm wondering sort of sort of a twofold question here. One is, you know, I, I suppose, you know, can we take someone who has a pretty severe CP, for, for example? And then there's lots of other, you know, I know there's certain disabilities where, and I'm not I'm not thinking about disabilities where it's literally impossible for them to have control. You know, I I know there's right. some folks that like you know paralysis. Well, that's a whole different conversation. Um I think, but you know, for folks that maybe have control but you know, it it uh, but they don't have maybe the ambulation so they're in a wheelchair and that sort of thing. Um um is it possible? But the second part is is it, it, is it is it asked for is it expected because i i see i get that sort of a picture and i got this when i was working in group poems that you know, it was a re- I, I'll be told by my behavior analyst colleagues that, you know, how sad it was that, you know, 32 year old, 32 year old Mike isn't toilet trained. And that's that's mm-hmm. really sad. And, and he must have had a horrible life or something. Actually, you know, Joe, mm-hmm. who, Joe, who a pseudonym, you know, is actually you know, one of the happiest guys I've ever met. But um, mm-hmm. but uh, but then looking at Mike, who is in a wheelchair with CP. That's that's not even given a thought. Well, of course, he's not toilet trained.
0: Right. That's so, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I would say it, it's not, it's not as often a priority for, for a family, like with a young kid who has more sort of physical disabilities for sure. Like I, I would say when I work with learners who have um like something like cerebral palsy, they're often a bit older. So they've come to the, they've come to prioritizing toileting sort of the learner themselves or the team a little bit later. And I think, partly it's just you, like there, there's often a lot of like oars in the water in terms of what are goals what are priorities if there's like medical complications because uh number one the person has to be alive so like I sometimes work with learners who are like medically really vulnerable and and if they you know got a got COVID they would it, it could kill them like that sort of thing so they're, right. they're working with a, a larger medical team yes. and they also have to prioritize stuff like yeah, like I've had a lot of that actually over the last couple of years of learners where we were kind of thinking of getting going and then this whole pandemic thing mm-hmm. happened and it was like, okay, we really can't have people in our home right now. This is like, no matter what precautions we mm-hmm. take, we're just not doing it. Right. So anyway, I think there can be complicating factors when learners have other complicating factors. Right. So yes. um, I would say they more often come to it later. And exactly. Yeah. I encounter that attitude too, where it's like, how sad that yep. this autistic guy is not toilet trained, but like, who cares that his here over here who's got BP isn't like of course he's not. So uh, yeah, learners who have um who are in a wheelchair and for some reason or have some mobility limitations with um mm. something like cerebral palsy a lot of the time can have lots of success with toileting Man. for sure. But yeah, I would say for sure it comes later. And I often have parents contact me when their kids like ten or twelve who has something like BP and be like, I really think we could do this
2: but like mm. think
0: we maybe we can because they're they're kind of yeah they're cool. they're yeah. they've just come to the idea of it of it later yeah. and that's cool yeah. i mean and we can certainly have some success and mm-hmm. and um make some make some changes mm-hmm. and help them get on the path for sure but yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah.
2: Area, yeah 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 because
1: i mean it's it's, it's well it's 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 it, 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 It's actually pretty ableist, you know, um, to sort of say. But at the same point, you're right because when I when I certainly think of of um, and reflect on sort of, you know, uh, the individuals that I have known that that have CP or something similar. A, you're right. It's often sort of, you know, they're often spending their entire sort of early intervention years as they were in like children's hospital, getting, you know, uh, multiple different surgeries, often on their bones, get literally having bones broken and sort of reset and toes straightened. And it just sounds, and I also know that, you know, as I start to sort of, you know, rethink the question I asked, I know the folks with CP in particular uh, often um, are in a lot of pain. Um, mm-hmm. um like 24 hours a day um especially mm-hmm. some folks with the more kind of severe levels um and uh and so you know yeah uh, you know, i understand why you know it wouldn't be a priority but then but sort of taking sort of that it kind of goes back to that other question of of why do we need to teach toileting you know so if you yeah. know it, you know if toileting is not life or death right toileting is not no. you know you know the number one priority in in people's life necessarily all the time and um uh, and I, so i think you know i think that's uh yeah yeah no. and
0: i i i very like i i very much like see that and and get that in in practice and i would say like the the most the, the the learners that i work with probably most of all are like age 5 or about to start kindergarten and often, like the families, the families like, we really want our kid toilet trained before kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like, can we make this a huge priority? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, as I know from my other research, parents are just really friggin' nervous about the transition
2: mm-hmm. to kindergarten.
0: Like, it is scary. Mm-hmm. So so that's a whole other layer. And it's uh, one of the reasons I was interested in researching it is because of this phenomenon in my toileting work mm-hmm. where parents mm-hmm. are constantly kind of freaking out about that and rightfully so I mean it's this huge change in the school system is so unknown if you haven't been part of it in any Mm -hmm. way like it is this sort of like I don't know it's like all this you insider information that's not readily available to parents about even how it's going to all work like and and what it's going to look like and what your involvement will be anyway so they I think that often I work with yeah learners who are about to start kindergarten and their parents are kind of like apologetic or or like the defensive of it maybe about not having prioritized toileting in the past or not being able to be successful in finger quotes with it on their own with their child Mm. so I think um I'm like no judgment I don't I know I I don't think like it kind of brings me back to when you were saying like is there something people can do with babies or young Mm. kids to prevent and I'm kind of like no judgment parents like you got a lot of stuff going on like with any with any learner like it with anybody who like I, I really it, it makes me feel bad that that parents feel sort of shame about their kid not being successful with toileting yet before they're in kindergarten because like I still get the need to prioritize other stuff regardless of what kind of disability your, your kid has like it
2: mm-hmm. it is
0: what it is right so when you come to it I don't think really matters and like That yeah we work with older learners all the time with success and it's not something where there's ever an age limit on being successful with it so if your kid had other priorities for many years of their life big deal like you can come to this later and it'll be okay Mm. um so yeah it's it's I think yeah it's, it's it's so hard to prioritize stuff and also yeah I mean as a parent too like I, I think I've I've become humbled about like how much I in my pre-parent life as a behavior analyst like ask parents to do mm-hmm. like as part of parent training which I now would call I guess parent support or sure. parent collaboration they yeah you're saying stuff like okay just like you know get him on the toilet every evening after dinner or like you know even the other stuff like before I was more of a toileting specialist stuff like get him to man for this juice each time you give it to him, and like now that I'm a parent I'm like oh man that's like so hard I'm so tired at the end of the day sometimes I don't I can't put them on you know what I mean like yeah. you just kind of have this other perspective on what priorities are and I think we we expect perfection from disabled people a lot and we also like we were talking about how it's so not okay for someone to have a tenna if they're disabled but like you know this 55 year old executives wearing one yep. and no one knows and it's totally fine it's the same thing with sometimes with parents like we expect way too much of of what they should be able to accomplish with their kids and i think a lot of parents still have the perspective that like toileting is something they should be able to handle themselves in their home and they come to me with a bit of shame and i'm like dude i would not have a whole practice dedicated to this if it was easy and parents could just do it like yep. it's it's free frig, it's friggin hard that's why i'm here to help you no big deal no judgment like it's yeah it's yeah, trying to support kids coming to toileting whenever they do is fine and totally part of my ethos,
2: I would say.
1: There's been a lot of uh commercials on TV lately for tennis, I don't know if you've even seen them, where um, uh, you know, and 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 and, and it's, it's been mostly kind of female actors um in the commercials and, and they're showing their stylish kind of black. It's got a little lacy lacy trim around the yeah. around the thing and that sort of thing and and um, you know and and, it, and it's very it reminds me in a lot of ways of some of the early sort of um, of the not even early of the current kind of feminine hygiene product uh, commercials. Yeah. the point showing that you can you know wear these things and you know you're not gonna have like a big bulge or anything you know uh, yeah. from the padding yeah. and whatnot and and it's comfortable and sleek and so on and so forth. You know, I mean, they're they're really making it sort of. Um, you know, um, and, and so they should be, uh, you know, uh, you know, really kind of acceptable for folks, um, you know, essentially over 40 or 50, you know, this yeah. is a normal thing, you know, it's, it's interesting that we don't see sort of, you know, um, uh, the marketing for, you know uh kids clothes you know you know you know you know stylist stylist child tennis you know are out there you know so you can you know you know because I think that's one thing that sort of stands out for some of these kids unfortunately that are wearing sort of the diapers sort of you know post-kindergarten is that those things literally are sticking out of the pants you can see the sort of wrinkle there instead of a you know like it would be wonderful to see a, a you know a a diaper made for a you know an eight-year-old that had a calvin klein lining you know or a joe boxer lining you know so that um so they're not you know so at least if they because 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 it gets to my it gets to um i said a couple other questions if we have time um it gets to my question about um uh and i don't know about sort of the sort of medical sort of screening or medical barriers or, or, or I feel like there's gotta be probably some medical prerequisites here. Um, um, yeah. And, 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 and do you sort of look at those, you screen for those or are there things, are, are there, do you have, do you have to sort of sometimes send families to, you know, say maybe go back to your family doctor or urologist or whatnot, because, you know, there's some issues here that aren't, you know, it's, yeah. this isn't behavioral.
0: Right. Yes, definitely. That comes up. And it's pretty seldom, I would say that a learner comes to us and like the the family or whoever's referring is already aware of the medical condition. It's more, I'd say the more common scenario is that attempting a toilet learning procedure reveals a limitation that's medical so like yeah for sure it can mean things like like learners occasionally have a neurogenic bladder where they're kind of just dribbling all the time and it's something that might require medication or surgery and we can identify that by doing like a behavioral intervention around toilet it's like no matter what we do there's dribbling constantly and the family might not have known that because the learner was always in hmm, cypher hmm, for what it's worth rough. so like being in underwear which is something I very very most you know commonly would um do with yep. learners right away it reveals itself almost immediately right, so it's right. like okay referral made and then also like we do work with a lot of kids who have hypotonia um we work with lots of learners with down syndrome and that's uh, like that's sort of almost every learner with down syndrome has that um and it can mean that uh for example like they i the way the way um physios I worked with have explained it to me is is and um some like urology specialists mm. too is it's like you if you have hypotonia, there's a very high chance that your bladder is not signaling to you your brain that it's full until it's very full. Mm. so like for for most people, if our bladder is under fifty percent full, that's when your brain's getting a message like you have to pee now mm. you are bursting, and it's actually only about fifty percent full. Mm. But for learners with hypotonia, it might be like eighty or ninety percent wow. full before yeah. they get any message. So that can be challenging yeah. because what we'll see is like they'll sit on the toilet and try to pee and they can't. And then they go for a break and they like bend over and pee right away. Cause their mm-hmm. bladder was actually like 80% full and bending or squatting or moving mm-hmm. made it empty. Mm-hmm. And the learner often is like, what, what's going on? Like they, they're not feeling it. So sometimes a pelvic floor physio is a really yes. good team member and somebody we can work with to make that uh, like make, strengthen the right muscles, make the awareness occur for the learner. Um, and it can be this whole sort of collaborative um, effort. And I mean, another thing too is like when we work with kids who have constipation or just general poop issues, don't poop on the toilet, won't poop mm-hmm, in the toilet, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, sometimes was, we need a family doctor or, you know, whatever primary care provider, nurse practitioner, anybody to help with um, like a dual softening yes. thing, because I'm not comfortable and not qualified to recommend. No, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say, I think, you know, we might really want to try like a glycerin suppository with this kid. It's going to help mm them get the poop out. mm -hmm. But let's talk to your doctor, even if it's something you can just buy over the counter. I always say, no, I'm not. I'm not telling you to do that. We're going to get your doctor to tell you that's okay. Um, That's not in my purview, but it's, it can be like a piece of a larger plan Mm -hmm, for sure. mm Um, so yeah, that's, that's something for sure. Like we, we notice typically, yeah, I would say the way it plays out is we notice these issues once we get working with a learner mm-hmm. and then have to, um, rope in the right professionals mm-hmm. after, um, but it's doable and like c- cool and kind of like a fun and satisfying part of my work, mm-hmm. I would say when it, when it's like, Hey, we work together and solve this issue totally. and like for, for this learner. And, and it's like, it's really interesting to learn more about what other disciplines contribute to the whole toileting picture, because um, I would say like very often people will say what they get from their family doctor if their kid has something like constipation is they're just like oh take Miralax every day
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that'll resolve it and they're like but also he wants to poop in his diaper only like how do we deal with that and the doctor's like oh uh, well get him on the toilet and it's like that's so complicated that's mm-hmm. so for a lot of learners that's like a a, a massive undertaking. Um, that needs really careful kind of work. So sometimes it's like they've already got the medical information that they need, like their doctor told them to take a laxative daily. Then they need help supporting the behavioral side of it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, sometimes it works the other way too. But anyway, yeah, it's it's really interesting to to work in that way, and I've, it's it's cool. It's been yeah, a really cool part of my practice is learning to collaborate with other professionals for sure. Yeah,
1: no, I I, I love, that's one thing I love about this field is 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 the collaboration piece because you get to learn so many cool things. Like a lot, I love like I love psychiatrist collaborations because there's just mm-hmm. so many really interesting points they have, and if they're interested in hearing your what you have to say, then often you know you can stop you know, stop kids from getting over-medicated because they're willing to sort of try some things that you might have in place. And so that's really cool. Yeah. Um, It, uh, you know, and then I think it's great that you're, I think it's also really cool that you're able to sort of potentially, you know, help a family discover a medical issue that they normally wouldn't be screened for, uh, you know, in in sort of that process. I think I just went to the optometrist the other day and um, optometrist, I don't know, I I wear glasses. I I go to them every two years. In the last sort of ten years or so, or maybe it's just the optometrist that I'm going to now, um, uh, the the things have changed a, a lot as far as it used to be You go in and, and, and uh, you know they, they make you read the letter the the letter board and and you know shut a light in your eyes and then stick a machine on your head and you pick a prescription, mm-hmm. um, uh, but now they've got these really funky. Uh, machines that look like they're they're billions of dollars that that go in and and they take pictures of sort of the inside of your eye and the liquid and and and, and your optic nerve and you can almost see part of your brain Um, and they're able to assess for things like you know like glaucoma but also like migraines and and, mm. and other sorts of vascular things and stroke risk and and all this sort of stuff that uh, you know has nothing to do with wearing glasses or not, uh, but they're able to sort of now, you know, provide a service that can 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 you know that that may require you to go seek out more medical attention, uh, you know, from other professionals. And I, I just love the idea of going to, you know, a professional for one thing. Uh, but they're, they're, they're able to sort of help me with other things too.
0: Yeah, that is cool. It's, it's, yeah, that's such a, it's, it's, yeah, it's so interesting when you get a whole other angle that you weren't expecting. And I guess also one thing with just like the the value of experience for me too, is like, I've worked with, I think like thousands of kids now on this, on learners on toileting. And it's like, I have a greater sense of what, expected in in toileting so it's it's like you can read this stuff and you can figure out stats around okay what's a normal amount for someone to pee like what's what's a neurogenic bladder what's the line like but but when you've just seen so many learners and what their pee habits are you're I, I feel now like I'm so comfortable like writing off a letter to to their pediatrician and saying hey I this isn't what I observe as typical in my practice I mm. think this learner's urinating way too frequently nice. and they're like oh oh cool like you must know mm-hmm. you, you see right like it, so it's it's yeah something where over the years just being." So many learners has helped me feel more confident about stuff like That's that, cool. I guess. Like, even if I'm not able to cite a specific stat, cause there kind of isn't one yep. for some of these things, I can say, this doesn't look, this doesn't look normal to me. Like, I think you need to look at this. Like, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's good to be able to help people that way too. Like as a behavior analyst, like say the behavior side of this doesn't look, isn't tracking for me. I think you need a medical yeah. help with this. It, it's good to be able to identify that stuff for people for sure.
1: I love that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Katie, so much cool stuff today. So, uh, yeah. yeah, really interesting. Um, I, I feel like they'll, we, we'll have to do another episode because I, I want to ask, I don't want to do this today, but I do want to ask more about kind of the different methods that are out there because I know there's a few different yeah. methods out there. I think it would be fun to dive into that. Um, I'd also like to talk talk about an, another time, more about pooing because I think toilet training seems to be associated yeah. with urinating and, and we get a lot of folks that, get that down, no problem. But then, you know, they're still having poo problems. Um, And, uh, and and so I'd love to kind of, you know, uh, dive into that a little more too uh, sometime. Um, But uh, I think this is a good place to to wrap things up unless you've got uh, any other kind of sort of last messages you want to kind of send out to the to the audience.
0: No, I think I would love to come back and talk about those topics Sweet. thank you this is a great outcome from recruiting myself for the podcast absolutely to be invited for a second yeah. time i think we were pretty
2: successful well there,
1: played so cool. well played yeah
0: i did it i did yeah. it i won i won your favor absolutely um, i think that no this is so fun i really i'm i'm interested to listen back i'm not sure what we just covered yeah. i think it was a lot um and yeah no it was super cool i yeah. it was so great to talk to you and i will Totally talk to you again.
1: Just don't forget to warn your family about the, the. Sh- oh
0: my gosh <laughs> I will. My nephew's gonna kill me. Yeah. But yeah, I think um no, that's I I will definitely have yeah. to run that that's by awesome. them before this is released yeah. in case anyone decides to listen. We, 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 we won't we
1: won't send this podcast to the high school all to be played on the announcement. No. Uh, <laughs> about something. <a> <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: let's not. Okay. All
1: right. Thanks again, Katie, for coming on. Super cool.
2: My pleasure.
1: All right. See you later.